From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. I know it's weird to interrupt the show before it actually even begins, but when I finished the episode today, I realized that I had forgotten to talk about something that I really should have, a life event that happened outside of the Cannabis Podcast. I'm pretty sure that previously I had mentioned that my daughter Sarah got engaged to her beau Josh when they came to visit here in the spring. Well, this last weekend, they got married. They eloped to the island of Bali off of Australia, and my youngest is now a married woman. Congratulations to the both, Josh. We are so happy they would welcome you to the family. And Sarah, we are so happy that you have found your true love. So that is some news I absolutely had to share with you. And now that I've done that, let's get back to where we were. And welcome back once more to the Cannabis Podcast. This is episode 27. I can't believe we've done this 26 more times before this. But here we are. And welcome to this episode. This is going to be a bit of a wake and bake episode. Because when I woke up this morning, I thought, you know what? I got to get a podcast done. I got a bunch of other stuff to do but it's more important that I get this done early in the day. So I thought this is a perfect day for a wake and bake. And I have been busy getting myself cannabis infused ready for the wake and bake episode. And here we are. (laughs) Welcome. I'm glad you joined me. Here's some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. I have been surprised ever since I started the podcast about the feedback that I get from the various listeners, how you have all helped me in creating various pieces of the podcast But I think the thing I have been most impressed and surprised by is the involvement of my extended family. (laughs) I keep hearing from my sister-in-law, who was actually featured in one of the stories, and because of that, I won't actually use her name, (laughs) just to keep her anonymity, because there is still that stigma out there. But anyways, this particular sister-in-law, she has contacted me many, many times. And in fact, she contacted me this last week to give me details about a new store that's opening in her area. So I really appreciate that. That's one of the things we're going to be talking about. On the other side of the coin, I was approached by a brother-in-law who apparently also listens to the podcast, looking for some information for he and his partner about some remedies, perhaps for migraines. That started the conversation. I sent them some information. And then lo and behold, I get back this long diatribe about how dangerous it is to purchase cannabis using a credit card because he still wants to go into the United States. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. It's become a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Which country are we basing our life on? The laws of the country we live in or the laws of a country that we want to visit? It's a discussion I think that needs to be opened up more and more because it's all about stigma. Also, a brief discussion on the fact that BC is no longer the king of cannabis in Canada. The home of BC Bud has gone way down in terms of how much cannabis we are purchasing little bit of a story on that. Also, this is one of the points that was brought up by my brother-in-law, the fact that we now had somebody busted heading into the United States carrying some CBD oil and has now received a lifetime ban from the United States. We'll chat on that one a bit. Talk a little bit about the Ontario lottery, uh, especially one particular winner of that lottery that's in a location that nobody can figure out how they ended up getting that. (laughs) And then also want to drop back into a story from Leafly, actually a couple of stories from Leafly. One, talking about how the various retailers are coming up with different classifications for cannabis. 
And we've seen that at some of the stores we visited. Hobo, for example, has a bunch of weird names that they're applying to various experiences. Touch a little bit on that. And another great story that I found from leafbuyer.com. Talking about terpenes, we have, of course, spoken about terpenes on the podcast many, many times. This one is talking about the different terpene levels and how they differ by strains and how terpenes protect and attract. So we'll touch a little bit on that. All that, and who knows, we may find some other things to throw in as well. All of that is coming your way on episode number 27 of the Cannabis Podcast. So let's start with the first link that I was given by my sister-in-law, who happens to live down on the Lower Mainland. And I guess because I had been covering all the many stores that opened up throughout the Okanagan when they finally did, even though it took a heck of a long time for any of that to happen. But said sister-in-law sent me a link to the fact of the second Fraser Valley store to open, and that was in Maple Ridge, where Maple Ridge got their first retail cannabis store it was a couple Mondays ago, back, I guess, in around August 17th. And it's another Spirit Leaf store. We, of course, have already visited Spirit Leaf up in Vernon with Sarah Ballantyne and her team. Spirit Leaf is also looking to open a store here in Kelowna, hoping that that license gets released very soon. And now, of course, Spirit Leaf in Maple Ridge. So thank you to my sister-in-law for sending that information along. I really appreciate the feedback and, and the interest that people are displaying about what we're talking about here. So the stores are gradually coming to other areas, <laughs> slowly and surely. And then the other discussion that I also wanted to touch on was one that I mentioned before in relation to my brother-in-law. And now my brother-in-law, Dave, is uh, one of those people who likes to holiday down in the States quite a bit. Likes going down to Arizona for the wintertime and, and various other locations. And he has demonstrated to me that there truly is really two levels of cannabis awareness and cannabis security concern in our, in our country. When we talk about people like myself, where I have lived in this country all of my life, I've done a little bit of traveling. I haven't done an extensive amount of traveling, but I have been to down into the States quite a bit and onto some other continents. I guess Australia would be the other continent that I've been on. But I do not, in any sense, base the decisions that I make on my life in Canada, based on the laws of another country. And this is what I see happening. When I had this discussion with my brother-in-law, he was talking about the fact that he and others like him, many of his friends, are still quite reluctant to speak openly about cannabis. And as he points out, particularly electronically. The concerns, I guess, are largely based on the fact that Big Brother, of course, down south, is strongly opposed to its use, at least at the federal level, even though here in BC you're heading into Washington State where cannabis is legalized, of course, but it's the federal level where everybody is having the problems. So I do understand the concerns of it, but I do argue fairly vehemently that you shouldn't be basing your actions and your life on the laws of another country. We're Canadians. Canada has legalized cannabis in this country as of October 17th, 2018. And whether or not you imbibe in cannabis or not, in my opinion, is totally irrelevant to another country because it's legal in our country. So it's legal to consume. It's legal to purchase. It's legal to possess. And I still can't get over this fact that many, many people are basing their decisions on the fact that 
another country is telling you how you should be living your life. Maybe that's not the way you're interpreting it, but that's the way I'm interpreting it. And I guess on the sidebar to that is the story that we heard this last week about a Canadian woman. And this again sparked a, a whole lot of concern in my brother-in-law. And I guess this was the main point that he was making. And that was that a Canadian woman this last week or the week before faced a lifetime ban now after getting caught with CBD oil at the U.S. border. This is a story from the MSN.com. U.S. Border Protection has barred a young Canadian woman from crossing the border after cannabidiol oil was found in her backpack. Now, as we know, cannabidiol is a non-psychoactive product of the cannabis plant she uses to treat the painful side effects of scoliosis. The woman, who is asked not to be identified, is the latest Canadian to face border troubles after Canada legalized cannabis last year. Thousands of Canadians have been denied entry to the U.S. simply for admitting they've smoked a joint once in their lives. Others have been banned from entering the country for life for carrying cannabis products to the border. Now, that punishment that this unsuspecting CBD oil user could now face as well, according to immigration experts. So we've already talked about CBD oil. We're not going to discuss all the benefits of CBD. The point being here that as the woman was approaching the border, apparently she was asked if she had any leafy green materials. Well, in her mind, she had some CBD oil that's way, way, way removed from leafy green materials. So I guess her answer to that was no. Then they found the CBD oil, and that resulted in her disqualification to come into the United States and a lifetime ban. So I get that that's the way it works in the United States. I'm just saying that it, it sh we shouldn't let them push us around like that. It, it, this is our country. Now, was she stupid to try to take CBD oil across an international border? Absolutely. That was a very, very silly thing to do and frankly, just a little bit of concerned thought should show that was not a really good idea. That even though CBD is the non-psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, the, cannab the cannabinoid that is not psychoactive, it still is part of the cannabis plant. So you can't in any conscience really say that you have no cannabis on you when you have CBD oil. So I get that. Going to be interesting to see how this one plots out as the world continues to look at this. There's your advice. There's your warning. Follow the words of my brother-in-law and take his approach where his, he says, they simply do not use anything but cash to make any weed purchases. Cash is king in the lives of he and his friends who don't want any trace or, or track of their purchases as they go into the United States. I myself have no desire to go into the United States. And uh, obviously, by being involved in the cannabis podcast, I would probably get picked up pretty quickly if I went across an international border in that I have some involvement with cannabis. But I'm not worrying about that. I'm living my life based on the fact that I'm a Canadian. This is the country that I live in. And I am so pleased that as of now, cannabis is still legal in Canada. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And now, speaking of BC and cannabis, <laughs> as anyone who has listened to this podcast from the beginning knows that I have a, a real problem with the fact that the province that I was born in, that I have lived a good portion of my life in, the province that had a worldwide reputation for BC bud 
has fallen to the wayside after legalization. This is a story from City News uh, 1130, which is, of course, CKNW. They just celebrated their 75th anniversary in, down in the Lower Mainland. Congratulations to that, folks. And this is the story that I'm going to be quoting from. BC's pot sales lagging significantly behind other provinces. It's just hard to read this one. I'm sorry. If you buy cannabis yourself or know someone who does, you may be aware that many people in British Columbia are continuing to buy their product from where they bought it before legalization. Cannabis retailers are upset with the situation, which sees legal pot sales in B.C. lagging behind provinces like Newfoundland and Labrador. With the latest figures showing legal sales more than 100 million behind Alberta since October, Ian Dawkins with the Cannabis Commerce Association of Canada, says it comes down to provincial and municipal politicians not understanding the economic potential of legal pot. He says here, there just isn't the interest from politicians to push for a strong pot economy. Dan Sutton is the chief executive of pot producer Tantalus Labs. He says reasonable checks are good, but the application process in B.C. is too strenuous, leading to fewer legal stores. And that's one of the things we heard about when we interviewed Sarah Ballantyne, the owner of Spirit Leaf up in Vernon. That's one of the things that occurred to them. I mean, it took over a year from the time they applied to the time they finally received their retail license and they were able to open their store. This delay has got to be incredibly hard for retailers who are sitting there waiting. More from the story. The fact that there are people who have been sitting on leases for 11 months now paying out of their own pocket to wait for an opportunity to get into this business. Well, that's clearly dysfunctional, and it's not happening in other provinces. Checks and balances are great, but when checks and balances become red tape, that's a negative. It's more because our politicians do not recognize what a large impact this is going to have on our local economy. Sutton adds British Columbians want to buy legal weed, but it's difficult to do so. And we've been highlighting that fact ever since we started this podcast. There's still like something like just over 40 licenses that have been released around the province. Here in the city of Kelowna, there is still only one licensed provincial retail outlet for cannabis. It is insane. This isn't a lack of demand. There's people that want to go to the retail stores. They want the quality assurance standards that are associated with legal cannabis. They want to purchase from a channel that contributes back to a taxable economy. So what's our province doing about it? Well, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says the province is looking at ways to speed up the process, but points out B.C. gives municipalities a greater say than anywhere else. He says, There are still other municipalities that have not even drafted rules and regulations for cannabis stores in their community, a number of them in the Lower Mainland, for example. We said at the time of legalization taking place, it's going to take a couple of years to get a functioning retail operation up and running in B.C. because of our unique situation. Because we have had such an entrenched black market in this province for a very long time. Well, I hate to tell you, Mr. Farnsworth, <laughs> that black market is still very much entrenched in our province. I have been trying my darndest ever since legalization on October 17th to make my purchases from the legal side of the world. One of the reasons was, as soon as I started this podcast, I didn't want there to be any, anything on the side that might come back and bite me. But I also thought that this is kind of the experiment of doing this podcast and looking at Canada after legalization occurred October 17th and how difficult is it 
to purchase on the legal side of the world. I had contacts prior to legalization. Anybody who smokes cannabis did. It is also, I'm going to take a bit of a sidebar before I come back to that point. This has also now made me realize that there really are two distinct cannabis audiences or cannabis markets in our country. There are those like you and I that have been involved in the industry for a long, long time back in the black market side of things where we expect a certain price point based on what we used to get from a dealer, a certain quality, a certain bud level that we used to get from our dealer. And then there's those who are just coming in to the cannabis world. Doesn't really matter their age. They haven't been around it before. They're coming into it brand new after legalization. And for them, there is no background. They don't have a comparison back to the black market. What they see on the retail side in the legal market is what they see. They don't have a comparison. Back to the point that I was making earlier, if I can remember what that point was. But remember, I and a bit of a marijuana infusion today, so I might be able to not be able to get back to that specific point. <laughs> and I can't remember what that point was. So I'm sure it was terribly relevant and, and there's lots more information for you in that. So there you go. We are once again in British Columbia. We are no longer the province of premier cannabis participation. Oh, I remember now where I was going. And that was on the black market side of things. I've been doing some inquiries. As I said, I do want to make all my purchases as much as I can from the legal side of the world. But I was curious as to what's out there. And I found out that the going rates in the world that I'm looking at is anywhere from 100 to $150 an ounce. Now, if you compare that to what's happening in the retail world, uh, it's quite a bit different. Because if we look at some place like Hobo, for example, they had some eights for about $27, $28, but then they had some eights that were in the $70 and $80 range. This was what they called their premium bud. Well, if you take that $80 and let's say you wanted to buy an ounce of that, that would be an astronomically priced ounce because it would be $640. Uh, and that's way more than anyone is prepared to pay for an ounce. Certainly me anyways. <laughs> my, my tastes are way, way below that. So there's still some issues in regards to the pricing on it, but the black market is still thriving in this province. And as others have indicated, because there have been so few retail stores allocated across our province, I think the black market is even stronger than it was before. I think there's more action and more activity out there where people are offering these prices of $100 to $150, $160 an ounce, some primo quality weed. It's a changing environment that quite frankly has still not changed. So that's the perspective. BC is no longer the premier place to buy bud in Canada. Now, as you go to buy some bud in other places across our country, one of the things that happened this last week is Ontario held an additional lottery. This is how they have decided to allocate their cannabis retail stores across the province. I don't pretend in any stretch of the imagination to understand why or to understand what the purpose of this particular action is or decision to go down this lottery route. Many are questioning it. Many are questioning it, whether it has something to do with the premier of Ontario and some of his cronies, so to speak, wanting to kind of allocate things their way. 
Who knows? But what I found interesting this last week is that after the last lottery, and this is a story from the Globe and Mail, after the last lottery, there are some concerns because an Ontario pot lottery was awarded to a shop location very close to a Toronto Montessori school. To quote from the story, Staff at a Toronto Montessori school are concerned that the Ontario government has not taken into account the safety of young children in daycare centres when establishing the rules around the distance cannabis stores must be from schools. In detailing regulations for cannabis retail stores in the province late last year, the progressive conservative government said that they needed to be located at least 150 metres away from schools. The government rules, however, were silent on how far stores needed to be from child care centres. Well, of course, this led to the possibility that a cannabis store could open several doors down from a Montessori school for young children in the east end of Toronto. Last week, in Ontario, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario held a lottery. That lottery was to allocate 42 new cannabis retail licenses, including 13 in Toronto. The lottery winners gained the right to apply for licenses, although their applications still need to be approved by the provincial government. And that is the part of this whole lottery thing that absolutely blows my mind. The lottery is just for the right to apply. <laughs> I mean, BC system is really weird and very, very slow and glacially paced. But this seems equally odd. Regardless of that, one of the winning addresses in Toronto's East End was at 964 Kingston Road, which is not far from the Beaches Montessori School that cares for 62 children. Lee Ann Jacks, co-owner of the Child Care Centre, said in an interview on Tuesday that the reason the 150-meter buffer was put in place was to protect children, and yet it excludes a large group of them. This centre serves children as young as 18 months old, but also includes a number of kindergartners. She's real angry that nobody's considered the age group under six. It's hard to tell parents of a four-year-old, she says, that, sorry, your kid is not protected under legislation until they're six. Jenessa Crognoli, a spokeswoman for the Ontario Attorney General Doug Downey, said on Tuesday that the 150-meter buffer applies to schools, including private schools, as defined by the Education Act. The Montessori is considered a licensed child care centre and not a school, she said. During last year's election campaign, Doug Ford said it was a priority to protect children by moving cannabis stores away from schools but the Premier backtracked on a campaign promise to set a minimum distance between cannabis stores and schools that was more than the 450 metres set by former Liberal Premier Kathleen Wynne. Raymond Connert, a spokesman for the AGCO, said his agency considers public health and safety and protecting young people when approving a location. Well, <laughs> did they really protect the safety of their young children in that particular lottery? Another bizarre way to figure out who's going to be able to sell cannabis in their particular area and how to get there. Wow. The Ontario Lottery. I guess there is a system worse than what's happening here in British Columbia. Now let's touch on another thing that is coming up more and more as I speak to more and more people about cannabis across our country. And that is the terminology how people are referring to all the various different aspects of cannabis and how they are trying to change the terminology to match what a particular organization is putting forward. 
This is a story from leafly.ca. And, and once again, of course, all the stories that I'm referring to in this episode, I have put the links back on cannabispodcast.com so you can check them out for yourself. And now this story from Leafly is how Canadian retailers guide customers to the right kind of cannabis. We've seen some varying approaches to this across the country. Cannabis is a complicated plant, and classifying its cultivars is a tricky business, one that often inspires more questions than answers. Should retailers cleave to the familiar sativa-indica hybrid breakdown of the legacy market, or should they base descriptions on lab data that is hard to gather and even harder to standardize? And that may or may not be understood by a consumer base that is still learning its CBD from its THC, let alone its myrcene from its linalool, or its quercetin from its camphorol. What's more important to the average cannabis shopper? A plant's appearance or its potential effects? And we, of course, have talked about this a lot here in the Cannabis Podcast. For instance, if a customer comes in saying they want an indica, are they asking for buds hailing from a short, bushy plant or expressing their desire for a particular outcome? Clocking a decent sleep, perhaps, or maybe just getting buzzed. And I've kind of heard this referenced a number of times as well, where if you're looking to get high, go with a sativa. If you're looking to get stoned, go with an indica. Well, how do retailers classify strains? Back to the article. Every store has its own method, but in general, most retailers organize their buds by plant type, such as sativa, indica, or hybrid, or by intended effects. Now, the fine print differs, but stores using an intended effects model tend to employ similar or at least overlapping categories, allowing shoppers to choose strains purported to be energizing, relaxing, or somewhere in between. Many stores also toss in a few categories that suggest particular activities, like socializing, creating, or lovemaking. This was one of the areas that, when I went to the hobo store here in Kelowna as they opened, I found them trying to do a new terminology. Like, for example, hobo says, move, is for sativa varietals with plenty of THC and less CBD for a bit of energy. Or lift, sativa with more THC than CBD for an energized lift. Not sure what's different between move and lift. Then there was balance, calm, rest. So those are the areas that Hobo has tried to split it up with. And the article says, why do stores classify their products this way? Well, Harrison Stoker is VP of Branding Culture at Donnelly Group, which is the parent company of Hobo Recreational Cannabis Stores. He says choosing how to categorize products was one of the retailer's biggest dirty decisions and something his team put a lot of thought into. Everyone agreed that the Sativa Indica hybrid model was dead or about to die, he says. However, they also recognize that the terms are still in common use, which is why they've included in product copy. Stoker says that Hobo's current effects-based categories represent a transitional period in the market. In the future, he believes terpene content will play a stronger role in how stores describe and customers choose their product. And I am a big believer in that. I think that's where the industry is going. That we eventually are going to be talking strictly about terpenes and what terpene profile meets the criteria for you. And if that's not a good transition point to the next piece of story that I wanted to talk about, I don't know what is. So regardless of how the retailer you go to is classifying your cannabis, we do understand that it is the testing that's telling us about all those terpenes. And terpene testing shows us why aromas matter. And this is a story from leafbuyer.com. Cannabis connoisseurs know all about tetrahydrocannabinol. 
which is THC, cannabidiol, CBD, and the hundreds of other cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant. They're also fully aware of the importance of terpene compounds that give each cannabis cultivar its unique aroma. Terpene knowledge is slowly becoming more mainstream in consumers looking for specific terpene combinations for personalized effects. With hundreds of terpenes available in the cannabis plant, more brands and dispensaries are choosing to perform terpene testing to show the percentages of terpenes in each cannabis product. Preliminary research and mounting anecdotal evidence suggest that terpenes may have medical applications and other significant effects on users. And this is one of the tests that I do when I go into a store is do they have the terpene profiles available? I was pleased to see that when I went to Spirit Leaf up in Vernon. They had the terpenes listed for the strain right on the counter. Further to that, when I went to Hobo, same thing. They did not have it visible on the counter, but if you looked on one of their iPads, which were on their bud bars, you could look up the terpenes for that particular strain. Terpenes found in a variety of plants do more than just contribute to the plant's smell. One 2012 study conducted by the Kinki University in Japan discovered that when a plant becomes infected by pests, it will produce specific terpenes to warn other plants of impending danger. The communication prepares a nearby plant's defense mechanism, although researchers aren't sure exactly how this happens. And of course, terpenes have also been known to attract pollinating insects or predators that feed on the pests that eat the plant. Researchers also hypothesize that the diversity of terpenes works together to provide benefits that a single terpene can't. There's still much to be learned about terpenes, but customers are learning that they do, in fact, matter. Terpenes' levels differ by strains. A cannabis cultivar's chemical profile depends on more than just its name. Trichome and terpene content are influenced by growing methods, environmental conditions, seed quality, and so much more. Many cannabis testing labs and companies showcase their terpene results online, providing customers with an idea of what they might find in their favorite strains. For example, a blueberry trainwreck sampled by Analytical 360 showed that myrcene was the most available compound at 0.634%. The next highest concentrations were limonene at 0.094% and caryophyllene at 0.088%. An AFCO strain, however, had 0.972% alpha-pinene, 0.815% myrcene, 0.509% limonene, and 0.445% beta-pinene. Terpene testing matters. And this is something that I would like to see the industry become more and more enthralled with. The more growers and consumers know about the cannabis plant compounds, the better. For medical consumers, terpene analysis helps them identify which strains or terpenes they want to consume. Although researchers are a long way from developing personalized cannabis medications using cannabis-derived terpenes, there are accounts that suggest terpenes can have a synergistic effect with cannabinoids. Even for recreational consumers, dispensaries and growers can recommend a certain strain for a customer depending on the type of experience they want. Terpene testing will clearly show what terpenes are found in the strain. Growers can then use this information to grow plants with specific terpene levels and modify them as desired. This is an area that I really hope is going to further expand in the cannabis industry in the future. I really hope we are going to be able to identify the terpene levels in all of the cannabis we want to consume. And through that and the process of experimentation on our own, we will be able to figure out <laughs> which terpene profile 
is the one that we are looking for. For example, when I go looking for something on an indica side and I'm getting the indica because I want to have some sleep, I want to make sure that there's a lot of myrcene in it. For me, I know that myrcene is very, very important for me to get a good sleep. Keep your eye on that. The terpene profiles are going to become more and more important as we carry on, and it's just going to get better. We're going to find more testing occurring about this, and with all of that testing, that's going to give us an ability to more carefully choose the cannabis cultivar we want to consume. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And that, ladies and gentlemen, just about wraps it up for episode 27. Always appreciate when you contact me about any information you would like clarification on or some ideas you have for the show going forward. And you don't have to be a brother or sister-in-law in order to do that. <laughs> Others are most welcome to contact me. You can do so at info at cannabispodcast.com. We'll be out looking for a new cultivar. See if another store opens up. Actually, I kind of forgot to mention that there are now two stores open down in Penticton that have received their retail provincial license. We have not gone down for a visit. Spirit Leaf is one of those. And Cannabis Cottage, I believe, is the second one. We may see if we can squeeze in a visit down there, but regardless, we're going to go looking for another cultivar to take a peek at Cultivar Corner. That will be back next week. And also, always looking for people to talk to. If you have anybody you think would be a great guest and you'd like to hear more from, then let me know. Send it to info at cannabispodcast.com and we'll see if we can get them on the show. So once again, thank you for participating. That wraps it up for episode 27 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.